Hey everybody in Serial Killer Country, my name is Brittany Ransom. And my name is Brian Joyner. And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast devoted to deep dives into the lives and psyches of the killers we love to learn about. Each week, Brian and I find a true crime story that resonated with us, and then I discuss one well-known or lesser-known killer, and go deep into their childhood, lives, methodology, and, most importantly, how they got caught. And then we get a little spooky, and we'll learn something about the cryptids or supernatural. Yes. And... Just to handle a little bit of business before we start, our Patreon is live. We have four tiers that start at $5 a month. Hey there to our first two patrons who signed up this week. <laughs> Hi. Our tiers go from 50 to 5 to $50, and you can get everything from merch discounts, access to a Patreon-only Discord chat, a free extra podcast called Conspiracy Crypt, and you will can even get the ability to talk to us if you want to live. But you can go to www.com. When killers, well, actually, we'll start with Patreon. Oh my God. <laughs> I should start over, shouldn't I? I just botched that. No, no, that. it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> you have to go to patreon.com slash when killers get caught. And if you'd like to purchase any merch or things of that nature, that's when killers get caught.com and you'll click on store and you can see any of our t shirts. Uh, we keep talking about buying a blanket, but no, no. neither one of us has bought a blanket Not yet. yet. Not yet. <laughs> I'll, I'll get to it. Brian did buy a bunch of stickers, though, so those are really cute. They're on, like, his tablet. Yes, I do like it. It's really awesome. And uh, just to let you know, this is how you support us so that we never have to do a bunch of those annoying mid-roll ads. Yes, we don't want to annoy you guys. So, hey, if you want to support us... <laughs> Go right ahead. Go over Patreon. And uh, there is a patron goal of 500 patrons. If we can make it to 500, Brian has convinced me to go to the Lizzie Borden house with him. And we'll stay in the most haunted room and participate in a ghost hunt and live stream it. It should be fun. Once again, those of you who support us, thank you so much. And this week in true crime, my story, I'm just going to, I'm going to give you the, the title first. Are you ready for this? says, Indiana mother, dismembered husband, ordered children to clean up crime scene. Oh, my God. No. Yeah. This is bad, and it only gets worse. <laughs> no. So it happened in Indiana. And um, so mom killed the husband, chopped up his body, and then she demanded that her children help her. So uh, mom's name is Thessalonica Allen. She's 34, and she killed Randy Allen. She shot him and then used an axe to cut off his legs. I don't know if she just got a little bit tired and didn't want to continue dismembering him. Mm -hmm. She tried to enlist her two teenage children to help dispose of the remains in an attempt to burn the body. Uh, she is facing, like, half a dozen charges easily. Murder, abuse of a corpse, child neglect. And this all happened... The end of July. So about a week and a half ago uh, in LaPorte, Indiana. Wow. Now, there was a hearing just this past Wednesday and the judge entered a not guilty plea from her. I don't know why she did that. And she got a public defender. So the way that she was found out, though, was that her kids refused to help. And so then she called. This is the best part. <laughs> she called one of the the other like the father of one of the children and had him try and have him come over oh, to help her. What? And he called the cops. Yeah. <laughs> what? No, don't try to get me caught up in this stuff. I don't, no, thank you. Um, now, she, in her not guilty plea, she said that the reason why she killed him is because he had been beating the children. Mm, okay. 
and that he also beat her and she shot him after a physical fight. The kids, however, said that like dad had just been like helping them on the computer and uh, he viewed a website that their mother had visited, which sparked an argument in their bedroom. Then the children heard a gunshot. The police also found two papers in the apartment placed under the daughter's pillow that appeared to be a to-do list. The paper said things like, hit him with a hammer and stab him. Roll up the body in sheets and plastic. What the fuck? That was all released Ugh. at the hearing. So I don't think Thessalonica is going to have the best time with this case. I just, I mean, listen, I don't advocate you killing people, but if you're going to kill somebody, you got to do it a little bit better. Not when the kids are home and then you can't tell your teenage children to help Come you. join me. No. <laughs> get, get blood on your hands too children please yeah so that that's the, the the one that i saw this week and i'm not gonna lie i've contemplated making a tiktok of this because it just seems like it belongs in stupid ways that killers get caught oh my god well, did, wait did they uh put what she was searching no they did not say what the website was just that dad saw it and it, uh, it bothered him it obviously wasn't something that was like illegal or grotesque because the kids would have mentioned that Mm -hmm. but i'm wondering if like maybe like she like purchased something that he didn't want her to buy you know what i mean that's stuff that people who are what's stuff that people who are married argue about yeah how you spend your money things of that nature or she was searching for a hitman well that would be weird um maybe i mean it could have been a dating site that would have caused an Mm. argument yes you know what what was that dating site for people who are married and want to cheat uh, Ashley Madison. Ashley there Madison. we go. Maybe it was an yeah. Ashley Madison account. Oh my god, it probably was. <laughs> it but then again, was. it can't be Ashley Madison because there aren't any women on Ashley Madison. Only men <laughs> and fake accounts. <laughs> but what did you learn about this week, Brian? Oh my god! All right, so I, I was torn between two, but this one I think I'll cover this one. Okay. Okay. So titles: The headline reads: Officials warn public about Atlantic Atlanta park after a woman and her dog were fatally stabbed wait is this the is this related to the thing that i told you about when i said atlanta police told people that this was not a serial killer and then (laughs) all of the people from atlanta were like that's exactly what you would say if there was a serial killer because it was also in atlanta this week i'm not sure it might be related oh wow that's fun uh says officials in atlanta advised the public thursday not to go to uh piedmont park okay uh alone at night see it seems like piedmont 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 sounds familiar to me piedmont that might be piedmont then again that could be just the philly way of saying it so let's just go with that one it sounds like it would probably be that anyway after it's a a one week after a woman and her dog were stabbed to death the dog too near one of the park entrances yes the dog unfortunately i don't know why probably because the dog was being loud and no, I was going to say, I don't know why I'm pick, I picked this one. And, right, because like, it's like three times in a row, Brian, with you and animal deaths. That's terrible. I don't know what's wrong with me. Oh, my I God. I thought it was bad enough when I had the lady, the Uber driver who stole the cat. Look, I was talking about, the last one I talked about was cat justice, okay? And this one is just, unfortunately, that... a Dog death. A, a dog death. So... I mean, I am a cat person, so but I would never <laughs> wish harm upon a dog. I do love dogs as well. I love animals. Anyway, yeah, at this rate, how expensive it is to get like to pay to have a dog in an apartment. Mm-hmm. I won't have one until I have a house. 
They charge like $100, $200 extra a month. I can't afford that. But the woman, uh, her name was Catherine uh, Janice. Poor Catherine. Uh, yeah, she was 40 years old, and she was found at the scene multiple stab wounds. Um, She's walking her dog? Yeah. I don't get, like, why you would stab the dog, because the dog was also found <laughs> stabbed in the scene. Bro, imagine that scene. I bet you they were real upset. Like, the people who saw it, they were like, oh, this dead woman. The dog is stabbed, too? Yeah. Um, they're, I guess they're still looking. Okay, so there's there's audio from 911 call from oh. the park uh, that was released. Somebody else found it. Oh, that's awesome. yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So... Hopefully somebody saw something because there's surveillance, you know, it's a park. So obviously there's security uh, cameras and stuff uh, um, there that recorded it. So hopefully they can find something on the security cameras. Um, they are asking anyone with any information to contact the Atlanta Police Homicide Unit or this Crime Stoppers. Awful. Uh, it's a phone number if you need it. It's 404 Eight four seven seven. There you go. And yeah, there. I guess they um, an anonymous award, a uh, 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 reward for ten thousand oh, dollars. That's pretty good for anybody with information. Uh, Just don't so. be like that one family that I talked about a couple weeks ago on TikTok, where the mom realized that her like kids were a part of the crime, and like she called the police and were like, "So, uh, is there a reward for information <laughs> about this?" And people were like, "Hmm." You don't know your kids are one of your kids is a murderer. Yeah. And the other one helped cover it up. Are yeah. you really just gonna call and ask about the reward money? I wouldn't. People I would, were mad. <laughs> I, I, I would be yeah, that's kind of stupid. I don't know. But yeah, so some pretty grisly stuff this week. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. That's okay, that's okay. Next so, week I won't have a non-animal one. <laughs> I guess we'll see what happens. When Killers Get Caught is sponsored by the Magic Class Boutique. Now, why does that name sound so familiar? Well, it's because it's a business ran by our very own Brittany. That's right. The Magic Class Boutique is not only a black-owned business, it's a woman-owned as well. This is a jewelry company that makes some pretty awesome earrings, ranging from cute little sushis to spooky mermaid skeletons. There are even adorable self-defense keychains for those just-in-case moments. And introducing the Serial Collection. This set of earrings is based off of Serial Killers and the official merch for the podcast. This collection features everything a serial killer would need to pull off their crimes, from hunting knives at the beginning of their crimes to warding keys for when they eventually get caught. Check out themagicclasp.com today where you can use our promo code CAUGHT to receive 15% off of your online order. That's T-H-E-M-A-G-I-C-C-L-A-S-P dot com and use promo code CAUGHT for 15% off and make sure you tell Brittany that I sent you. So this week, I decided to take a break from the massacres. Um, oh. The, some of the, the natures of these, like, lust killers and, like, 
the the sex crimes were mm-hmm. a little much for me. Uh, well, really, what it is is that like I spend like a lot of time reading these books, and it's just a lot of uh, that to take in consistently. Mm-hmm. So I remembered that I had a series earlier this year on TikTok called senior serial killers oh yes and that one specifically like they always interest me because the the general age for when people start murdering others in a serial fashion is your late 20s to early 30s mm-hmm. so i a lot of times people are interested in the much younger killers or the much older killers and so you have the exceptionally young like jesse pomeroy mm-hmm. episode 15 or much older like today and uh she was born in 1929, and she didn't kill for the first time until 1982. Oh, wow. Um, her name was Dorothea Puente, and she is notoriously known as the Death House Landlady and one of California's more notorious serial killers with a kill count of nine. Oh, I think I've heard of her. I think she might know this story. Oh, this surprising. This is a story I know. Okay. Well... Let's learn about who she was decades before she became a murderer. Because she had a, an, I won't say interesting. <sighs> a lot happened and it wasn't all good. <laughs> so Dorothea Helen Gray was born January 9th in 1929 in Redlands, California, which is in San Bernardino County. She was six out of seven children. Number six out of seven children. Mm-hmm. Uh to give some background, Redlands, California in 1929 was barely a town yet. Um, the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl had caused this like mass exodus of people from the Midwest, both to the East and West Coast. And a lot of people moved into California seeking jobs and prosperity. Right. Dorothea's parents were two of those people. Um, the, the two of them thought like, oh, you know, California has a lot of farms. We can like, you know, pick fruit or do farm stuff. Uh, thinking that it was like an easy job. Mm. Um, it's not an easy job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, her mother, Trudy May, and her father, Jesse James Gray, uh, worked on one of the many sprawling orange orchards, which was the main crop in California at the time. Okay. Now, I have to say this because I, lo- I looked into this. One of my friends, um, you'll hear me refer to her as Glitch. Um, Glitch's parents named her brothers after celebrities too this is apparently a pretty common thing naming your child like the first and last name of a celebrity so jesse james gray (laughs) can you imagine though justin bieber jackson (laughs) like and apparently this was a trend in the 20s and also it came back in the 50s and so like that's glitch's parents naming uh what was her brother named? Like Roy Roger something? Oh my god, that's awesome. Right? <laughs> weird. Um, but yeah, so that was already a weird trend. I was like, I that just like struck me and I was just like, Can you imagine Beyonce Knowles Martin? <laughs> like that's just such a weird thing to do. But regardless, um they had absolutely no experience uh when it came to agriculture. And the two of them also had a drinking problem. Um Trudy ended up creating such a bad reputation for herself that, well, they both got fired from the orange orchard, mm. but no one else would hire her. And I couldn't find any records to explain exactly what she did. But like from this point forward, nobody in Redlands will hire Trudy May. Oh, a drinking on a job, probably. Well, so 
Jesse's the sole breadwinner and he gets a job picking cotton for a sharecropper on the edge of town. There, they didn't seem to care if he got wasted because if he didn't show up for work, they just didn't pay him for the day. And on the days that he did get paid, he spent most of his paycheck on alcohol. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I go into that because I'm just trying to set the scene for the world that Dorothea was born into. Um, Trudy continued to drink throughout her entire pregnancy and while she was breastfeeding. Oh um, they say this is the reason why uh, Dorothea was so short. She got the stunted growth aspect of fetal alcohol syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, when she moved to solid foods, there really wasn't much because they were busted broke. And Dorothea's older siblings taught her how to like scavenge for food scraps pretty much as o- when as soon as she was old enough to like walk with them. Oh, wow. In fact, sometimes they took her out like when she was a toddler and they used her as a prop to like get sympathy and give like people to give them like food and money. Wow, that's terrible. Well, eventually the town started talking about the crop of gray kids who were always out begging and Trudy would get upset and she would like try and beat them. The older kids were pretty used to this, though. And like they tried to teach Dorothea, like all you have to do is just avoid her. Let her drink a bottle of whatever it is she's drinking around the house. And she's going to forget why she was mad in the first oh my place. God, that's terrible. Unfortunately, since Trudy was so small and she was the slowest, yeah. like she couldn't get away from her mom when her mom was on the warpath. Mom, this is your fault. <laughs> so she took a lot of like, <laughs> it's your fault. I'm so short. Um, she took a lot of beatings um, meant for the older children. Um, really, Trudy was mad at her husband, but he was never home. So she took it out a lot on the kids. Mm. Um I think the weird thing about her is that Trudy didn't have much malice towards the children, but she just didn't seem to like care about them. Hmm. Like they were just there and kind of annoying. Now, Jesse wasn't home a lot. He was either sleeping somewhere in the house at a bar or at work. Um, He was also violent with his wife and children. So everyone was happier when he just wasn't around. He seemed to be more aggressive with the girl children, and they don't go a lot into details about how many siblings there were, like, the eight, but there were several girls. Mm-hmm. And, like, he would just be annoyed by them, and so, like, they would just walk by, and he would just hit them randomly, like, smack them, like, back in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, so they lived in a one-bedroom house for nine people. Oh, my God. And so when he would come home and want... Uh, to have sex with his wife, he would literally kick the children out. Um, and they would spend, they should walk the streets at night scavenging for food. Oh, out of the house? Out of the house. I thought they kicked them out of the room. He would kick them out of the house. He was like, you need to be gone. Oh. Um, And so they would like, you know, stop by people's houses, you know, go through the garbage after people had dinner. Several times during these night walks at like the girls had to gamble sometimes on who they were walking by. Mm-hmm. You know, you never know who's going to like try and touch you. And since Dorothea was still so little, like, like maybe they might like grab one of the older girls, like skirt and miss her and grab the baby. Mm-hmm. And so she definitely experienced some level of sexual assault when she was very, very young. Um, and something that she, she didn't talk much about. Um, it seems like it couldn't get worse, though, right? No, hopefully not. Well, one night, uh, Jesse passes out at work in the cotton field. He wakes up 
it rained during the night. He's completely soaked through. Um, he has a terrible hacking cough. And that strange cough lasts for months and months to the point where every time he coughed, he was pulling on blood. Uh, a doctor was like, this seems like pneumonia. So they told him to stay in bed and, you know, recuperate, which shut down their only source of income. Mm-hmm. They spent their last money on medication for him, but he didn't get better. And then a preacher from the local church that they used to go to came by and was like, oh, that's not pneumonia. This is tuberculosis. Oh, <laughs> I see a lot of cases because he's like, I administer the last rites to people who are dying. And for people who don't know, tuberculosis is very lethal and very contagious. And so the local church was like, don't worry about it. You don't have to worry about food. We got you. Y'all aren't allowed to leave your house. Yeah, you're quarantined. They forcibly quarantined this entire family. Um, and Jesse James Gray died in 1937 when Dorothea was eight years old. Mm. Uh, the family had no money and he was buried in a potter's field. Uh, the community felt bad for Trudy, but uh, not bad enough to risk hiring her. I don't know what this woman could have done to make them have a memory this long. It's been at least eight years oh, or man. longer since she got fired. And people great. are still like, Ugh, Trudy? Nah. Oh, goodness. And so as like after he died, they continued to quarantine the family. And as no one came down with tuberculosis, the donations started to dwindle. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, and so Trudy began visiting uh, with men about town uh. in exchange for uh, services for, for for payment for services. I mean, that's a job. It's a job. It didn't pay well, but it paid. Um, sometimes she'd be gone for weeks at a time, and the kids just kind of did for each other. They cooked for each other. They begged in town. Sometimes they'd eat with some of the Mexican families in the neighborhood. And so then Dorothea would try and pay them back by, like, cleaning the dishes and helping out in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. A year after Jesse died, Trudy got into a car accident. She'd been riding on the back of one of her client's motorcycles when a car clipped the back wheel. The bike flew off the road and down a rocky hill. And when her body was recovered, it was unrecognizable. Oh, no. Um, due to the injuries she sustained. The police were like, well, we have to find the the family of this woman. They tracked down the kids, and they're just like, the kids are like, eh, she wasn't really here anyway. <laughs> and they were like, well, we're just going to kind of keep doing what we've been doing. We've been handling our own business. But the state was like, ah, we can't no, have- we can't allow like a bunch of people all under 16 to live in a house together. Sorry, children, no. So they were all taken and sent to random orphanages across the state. Uh, Dorothea was alone for the first time in her life. And orphanages were understaffed, underfunded, and a lot of horrible things happened to her during that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, For reference, you could assume that very much like the Indian schools that we are currently unearthing, the horrors that happened in North America right now, Mm. same kind of stuff happened at orphanages. Um. Just any situation where, like, a few people are responsible for, like, a hundred children, I feel like that's a recipe for those children being horrifically abused. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Be it nuns or anybody else. It never goes well. Uh, But Trudy, I mean, uh, Dorothea only had to stay there for a year. When she was almost 10 years old, one of her aunts learned about 
uh, Trudy's death. Hmm. Her aunt went about gathering all the kids from all over California, and it took the better part of 1939 to do it. Oh, wow. And she brought them all back together in Fresno, California. The kids very much were like, we're just going to try and move on from this. Um, And when Dorothea was asked about her childhood, she told people that she'd grown up in Mexico and had moved to the U.S. when she was 10 years old. She even learned Spanish. And over time, she repeated this lie so often that it she it was like she believed it. Mm-hmm. In Fresno, Dorothea had stability. She had friends. She was growing up to be a very beautiful young girl. And then the state intervened again, saying that this house that had like four bedrooms was too small for the aunt and her children and seven more children. Well. Which was shocking to Dorothea because she's like, I grew up in a one bedroom house with nine people. Yeah. This is awesome. This is luxury. I got so much space now. Right. So much space for activities. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, no, you can't stay here. And they sent Dorothea and her siblings into foster homes. Oh, my God. Why? Um, yeah. She lived in Fresno, L.A., Napa County. She was just consistently uprooted over and over again. And during that time period, she became kind of cold and stubborn. She would fight with her foster families. Even basic rules kind of annoyed her because she'd been allowed to really come and go her whole life, mm-hmm. except for the like year she lived at the orphanage. Because nobody really cared. Unfortunately. By 16, Dorothea was tired of the foster home shuffle. She got a job, dropped out of school, moved out, cut ties with everyone she knew. She even stopped reaching out to her real family because that was going to mess up her, her story that she was telling people. Mm. Um, after she she saved up a little bit of money, she moved to Washington State and she ran out of money on in Olympia. She met another teen girl on the bus and they rented a little room in a motel. Now, at this point, Dorothea is petite, blonde, bright blue eyes, got that nice nubile skin mm-hmm. with a tiny hint of a Mexican accent. So she was the pinnacle of like 1940s beauty and <laughs> she followed in her mother's footsteps. Now, 1945 was a really good year to be a prostitute in the U.S. Because World War II was ending. Soldiers were coming back from war. They had money and they hadn't seen a woman in years. Uh, Unlike her mother, Dorothea, however, had a little bit better of a head for business. And so she ended up renting two rooms so that both she and the girl could work. And they stayed busy and made a lot of money. Look at that. Uh, she started getting a regular client. Um, he was 22 years old, and he was a soldier named Fred McFall. And uh, he was smitten. Like, he liked her so much that he would book, like, a regular time slot to meet her mm-hmm. and the time slot afterward just so he could sit and talk to her. Oh, cuddle time. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, she laid on her tragic Mexican backstory how she'd lost both of her parents, and she'd only been allowed to move here when she was 10 years old. And then Frank proposed to her weeks later. Um, Dorothea didn't really have any other options. So she was like, all right. Okay. Um, Unfortunately for Fred, Dorothea was a hustler through and through. She stopped hooking when she realized he could provide for her. But she had gotten used to making a lot of money while she was running her little tiny brothel. Mm -hmm. So like silk dresses, getting her hair done consistently, you know, fine wines. She's like, I was living it up. And Fred was like, fine, if you want it, I'll give it to you. Um, They got married in Reno a couple months later. 
all of Fred's family was in Nevada, so they were there. And so then Dorothea tells them this story at the wedding that um, she, the Mexican tragic backstory, but then she tells his family that they actually had met in the Philippines during the, the Batten death march. And the problem with that story is that that means that Fred would have met her when she was 13. Yeah. Which is not when he met her. The family just assumed that like she was drunk and we were like, we're just going to let this go. Um, Fred assumed like she just doesn't want them to know that I met her when she was a prostitute. Or she's just a liar. Um, Fred got a job in Gardnerville. And they had a pretty wonderful honeymoon period full of a lot of sex. And she actually began showering Fred with a little bit too much attention. He kind of was a little like, is she just like really into me? Or is she like a nympho? Like he was, and this is odd because generally most men in their early 20s aren't looking at their teenage wife who wants to bang them and going, this feels like too much. Oh my god. Um so the first sign of something going wrong in this marriage was that Fred came like realized that she was an absolute mess. Um she never lived in a household mm-hmm. where she learned how to keep things tidy. Uh, that's true. She didn't know how to be a wife. She didn't know how to even be in a proper relationship. All she saw in terms of adult relationships were her drunk, horny, alcoholic parents. So that was a problem. Um, they would get into fights. And of course, she would respond by being even more sexual, which didn't he didn't like it at all. Yeah. In fact... Fred was like relieved when she got pregnant because he was like, "Great, now I don't have to fuck her." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god! So like that, like nine month period, he was like, "Oh, awesome!" I'm sure every time she came on, he was like, "Oh, but the baby, I don't want to hurt the baby." Yeah, you just rest, honey. It's okay. Take a break. Um, she ended up having a baby girl. Um, Dorothea kind of hoped that she would be better than her own mother, but after she had the baby, she didn't really feel anything towards her own child. She barely looked after it. And one night Fred came home from work and the house was a complete wreck. And the baby was crawling through like the garbage on the floor and still wearing the diaper that he put on the baby in the morning. Oh no. Um, Three months after their daughter was born, Dorothea started, like, taking the baby to her mother-in-law's house and leaving it there all day. And then his mother-in-law would call him and be like, you have to come pick up the baby. And he's like, I don't really want to. Mom, she's not good at being a mom. Like, (laughs) please help her. (laughs) Um. And on on one hand, it seems like, oh, she didn't have a mom to look up to. But, like, from a psychological perspective, um, some of my sources believe that because she never got to actually bond with an adult as a child um, in any meaningful way, at least it's possible. She didn't know how to bond with a child of her own. She'd never done it. Um, There's certain things that happen like from a psychological perspective that have to happen Mm -hmm. and they have to have it in a certain order. And like, that's why a lot of like, that's why there's a big push right now for fathers to get paternity leave because 
the bonding period with infants is super important. Right, right, right. As is the following couple years Mm -hmm. before even the baby can talk. And like things like uh, your kid's ability to speak depends on how often you talk to your child. Yeah, definitely. Kids learn more, like essentially they get better at the basics by having access to both of their parents. Mm -hmm. And so like maybe because she never had that, like as soon as she was born, Trudy was just like, eh, another one. Oh, poor baby. Yeah. And so um, Fred became kind of distant and he started avoiding going home. And so Dorothea was just like, you know, I'm just going to drink a little bit. Take the edge off. Oh, no. Which only made things worse. Um, She began cleaning the house, but mainly it was because she was literally home alone and bored. And so Fred was like, oh. Is, is this her attempt at, like, reconciliation? No. She's cleaning now? And so um, Dorothea used sex and alcohol to kind of fill the void inside of her. And Fred viewed this, like, lustful behavior from her as a sign of love, which he always had. Mm. Um, and she got pregnant again. And Fred was like, this time, baby number two, she's going to bond with baby number two. So when Dorothea's water broke... Fred was at work. Mm-hmm. She went to the hospital alone. She gave birth. And she told the hospital she wanted to give the baby up for adoption. Oh. She came home the next day. No baby bump and no baby. And Frank was like, where's the baby? And and maybe at some point she might have thought about like lying. Oh, I had a terrible miscarriage. But like at this point, she was just so fucking done that she just said, I gave it away. It's gone. Oh, um, like Fred immediately like rushes to all the local hospitals because she won't even tell him where she gave birth. Yeah. Um, he tries to get his this, his second daughter, but Dorothea had already signed the paperwork and there was nothing that could be done. <sighs> Unsurprisingly, they got divorced in 1948. Dorothea was 19 years old. Um, very little is mentioned about Fred and his daughter after this. So Dorothea rented out an apartment in the crappy part of L.A., expecting to jump back back into prostitution because she was like, well, it was good before. Mm-hmm. Um, but 1948 was not as good of a year to be a prostitute as 1945. Um, also, she'd just given birth to two children, so she didn't have the exact perfect figure she had before. Um, but she began meeting clients at their homes, getting them wasted drunk waiting until they've passed out and then robbing them oh. of their checkbooks and valuables <clears throat> that's, new, new con that's yeah, that's a way to get paid i guess well this was successful at first but in early 1949 police started getting calls from bartenders about a young woman robbing johns writing bad checks the LAPD, LAPD set up an undercover operation, and she got arrested within the week. Right, of course. Um, as she was only 19, the judge was pretty <clears throat> lenient, and she was sentenced to one year in prison, but they said she was eligible for parole after six months. In prison, um, she got in trouble for also not cleaning. And so, well, after you get in trouble enough for that, you yeah. start doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she didn't make many friends right away because she really thought she was better than most of the other women in prison. Um, 
Her attitude slowly shifted, though, after some time of just being straight lonely. Mm. And she started to see the value of relationships, at least in understanding that that she could get something from other people and they could get something from her. Um, she got really she got a lot better at telling her fake backstory. So it was less obvious that it was fake. Um <laughs> By now, she was raised in Mexico, sent to the Philippines, rescued by a soldier at the death march. He had had a tragic heart attack just after they got married. Truly a heartbreaking tale. Oh, my God. It's so sad. It's it's going to keep it's going to keep evolving as the story goes on. <laughs> oh, no. She also got better at pickpocketing when she was uh, and when she was in her cell, she practiced forging signatures. Um, and then when she started talking to the other woman in prison, they were like, listen, the reason why you got caught like that is because you didn't change your pattern enough. Police don't really even like arresting young pretty girls. So if Dorothea could just stay out of their way when things got hot and change up how she was robbing the men, that the cop, because the cops saw them as criminals too. Right. They were hiring prostitutes. I mean, so technically they were also doing illegal stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, if you do this and you just kind of switch it up where you're going and not going to the same bars every day and stuff like that, she's like, you'll get away with it too. She got out of prison four months later. So that is two months before when she was supposed to be paroled. Oh, okay. Um, some of LA's most successful escorts had told her the best places to meet rich men and which hotels wouldn't bother you. So she went back to turning tricks. She moved from Riverside County to downtown LA. She didn't have to rob these men anymore. So the police kind of turned a blind eye to her. In fact, some pretty prominent members of the LAPD were her customers. Now, what's interesting to me here is that she was definitely significantly more successful than her mother by a long shot, but she was still spending the majority of her money, not getting drunk, but she had expensive tastes, like I said, uh, and they were causing her trouble. Mm -hmm. She only drank the finest alcohol. She wore silk stockings only. She got (laughs) new dresses and new hats like weekly. She would eat out every night. Oh, my God. Well, if you get the money to, I guess. Everything was going real good. And she got pregnant again. Since there was no access to abortion in 1950, and she couldn't work while she was pregnant, she had to kind of abandon her lifestyle. Nine months, my God. She gave birth in San Francisco in 1950. She told the adoption agency that the the father was just some guy. She hadn't bothered to learn his name, nor has she considered the consequences of taking an extra dollar from him to have sex without a condom. Mm. Uh, she went back to prostitution Immediately. Of course. And spend the next two years hunting for a husband. That is when she met Axel. Now, okay, so I saw his name listed in two different ways. Johnson or Johansson. And I think the actual Swedish way was probably Johansson. Mm -hmm. But the Americanized version of his name was Johnson. So there you go. We have both. He was a Swedish merchant seaman who was looking to settle down. In America, their courtship was longer than usual because they only got to go on a couple dates before he got called back to port. But whenever he docked, he made sure to call Dorothea. She reinvented her past again, saying that her husband had died in 1948. She had been approached by a man at a department store who'd given her his card and told her that she could be a rocket. And she hopped on a plane to the East Coast to audition. And she got the job because she was just so talented at dancing. But she wasn't ready to leave California because she really loved her job as a chef in San Francisco. So she would commute back and forth between California and New York. No, you would not. 
Wait, you ready? You ready, though? Her job as a rocket ended when a girl dancing next to her broke a heel and fell into her, and they both fell into the orchestra pit, and she broke her leg. And the other dancer got paralyzed, and that girl's husband ran off with another one of the rockets. Why'd you make that little side story? Why'd you do that? <laughs> That's her news story. So the tragic, so we saw the Mexican, then sent to the Philippines, then came back, then her husband died. Now we have the rocket story added to it. Who who commutes from California to New York? Who knows? How? Um, Axel didn't really question her story. He was like, he just kind of loved her energy. And he was just like, listen, even if this is probably not entirely true, she's fun. So he proposed. Oh my God. And so Dorothea really liked this setup because she's like, mm, feed him good, sex him good. He goes on the boat, leaves me alone for a couple months. Sounds fun. She started burning through the money again, though. Drinking. A lot of drinking. And usually what would happen is that she would just live like completely shitty. Mm. And then... When she got word that Axel was coming back, she cleaned it up. She would clean everything up and be ready for him. But one time she was too drunk and he walked into the house and it was completely like a mess from top to bottom. Mm. And he walked into the bedroom and she was passed out on their bed. And he beat the crap out of her. Oh. And because it was the 1950s and uh, people didn't really, they were like, neighbors might have been like, ah, oh. But, Not my business. But for having a messy house, it's fine. <laughs> uh, he went back to the sea. Uh, she got bored. She started drinking and spiraling again. Then she started bringing men home. Now, her neighbors didn't realize she was turning tricks again. They just thought she was cheating. So they told <laughs> Axel when he got home. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> this went on for years. He would beat her until she began to act right. And then she would do whatever she wanted while he was all, you know, on the water. And then um, she would do what he wanted while he was back on shore. Mm-hmm. She reinvented her backstory again um, while they were still dating, saying that she was like a holistic doctor. And people kind of believed it because she brought, like, she had a lot of potions in her house. And, like, the neighbors would be like, yo, you know, what do I do about this ward on my foot? And she'd be like, I got you. And she would go get, like, one of her little concoctions and give it to people. And they worked. But, like, these are probably just, like, old wives' tales. She's a bruja. That's what it was. (laughs) She's just a bruja. Okay. But the problem was, like, her husband was like, where are you getting all these random real drugs from? And she's like, listen. He's like, also, you never told me that you were like any kind of a doctor. And she's like, listen, listen. I learned about this in Mexico. I would travel with my mother to remote villages. And so I learned by watching her. And at this point, Axel is like, what is wrong with this woman? And he has her committed in 1961. It's only because she's a liar. She's 32 years old. Um, and she had a pretty awful time at the San Francisco Marine Hospital. Um, the problem is they didn't distinguish between people who were criminally insane versus those just in the middle of like a crisis. Mm-hmm. And the hospital also had a lot of sick sailors who were bringing in diseases from everywhere because they went all around the world. Oh, uh, yeah. 
at one point Axel actually had to step in because they were like, yeah, so um, we have her plan to be on the sterilization uh, on this date. And they were like, wait, what? You're sterilizing my wife? That's because the hospital still had an active eugenics program oh. in the 60s. Yeah. And for anybody listening who doesn't know, uh, the these programs were specifically for mentally ill, uh, disabled people, and sometimes they forced it on black women. Uh, as a means of population control so that the bad people wouldn't have children. Furthermore, a lot of states paid out uh, like in the 80s and 90s for forcibly sterilizing a lot of people across America. Fucking disgusting. You know, pretty much the way to deal with the mentally ill was to make sure at bare minimum they couldn't make more mentally ill people because that's how that works. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um. The doctors found her a bit strange. She was pretty normal, except when it came to these constantly changing stories. Um, today, Dorothea might have been diagnosed as being narcissistic, um, maybe even psychopathy, specifically because she had no ability to emotionally connect with anyone and a distinct lack of empathy. Um, Asperger's. She, well, you think she would have been on the spectrum? We have to think about like the fact that she also had fetal alcohol syndrome yeah. before we even knew what that was. Hmm. Right. So yeah. like, maybe that's part of it too. Was there a brain development issue? We don't know. Um, but they were like, she's obviously having hallucinations and she's a schizophrenic. So like the reason why your schizophrenia gets like this is because you're drinking so much. So stop drinking and go home and be with your husband. And that was the that was the diagnosis and the treatment. <laughs> no, what? <laughs> so that that was it. That was you did the medicine. Whoop. Okay, girl, if you stop drinking, you'll be all right. I mean, they weren't wrong. Okay, <laughs> just yeah, they were right yeah, for the wrong reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was that's right, but that's not right. <laughs> that's not how we treat schizophrenia, though, fam. Oh my god. So. Dorothea had really, like, accepted being beaten by Axel because she was like, listen, I'm a really terrible wife, so, like, I deserve it. But she was not okay with the fact that he put her in a facility. Mm -hmm. And the chasm very much grew between them. He kept putting off, like, going back out to sea because he was just like, I need to watch her and make sure she's okay. Um, He eventually had to go back to work. And he was like, fuck, when I get back, my house is going to be trash. This is going to be awful. Turns out he had nothing to worry about. When he got home, the house was perfect. It also was empty because Dorothea legit left as soon as he was gone. Oh. She packed up all her stuff and she moved. Uh, She moved to Sacramento. She's now in her mid-30s. She's got the body of a 30-something-year-old lady, Mm -hmm. but she's still smart. So she gets back in touch with some old friends who are prostitutes and she starts organizing. She sets up the women in a house, takes a cut, has a brothel. Oh, there you go. The early 60s were a good time to be a prostitute. Unfortunately, that's because just uh, there's a lot of progressive uh, things going on in America at the time. Oh, right. Yes. (laughs) And uh, unfortunately, though, she picked a house in a nicer neighborhood um, and her neighbors reported her. 
The police did a sting operation. She and all the other women were arrested. And I got to tell you, the sting operation was ridiculous. So the front of the house was like a fake situation, right? Mm-hmm. And so a cop came in and he pretended to be like a like a trucker. And like she like told him about all the different girls, explained them all, like what they offered. He was like, I don't like any of them. And so she was like, I can give you a blowjob if you want, mm-hmm. like, and you pay for it. And he was like, yeah, now you're all going to jail. What the hell? I was like, I don't understand. What? What? Yeah, that's how I feel about that story, too. Is it because she offered? I think so. Is that why? Okay. I mean, that. okay. Well, they when she got arrested, though, she told the police she had no idea that that place was a brothel. And she was just there visiting one of her friends. Yeah, and they were talking about blowjobs and stuff, you know. <laughs> she got 90 days in jail, and she made the best of it. Um, she ran to a snag, though, because they were like, we really don't want to release you without a real address. But Axel wasn't picking up the phone. He was filing for divorce, and he had been told by his lawyers, don't respond, because that can mess things up. Mm. So she got released and then she immediately got arrested again for vagrancy and put back in prison for another 90 days, which I got to tell you, that just seems like a setup. So she has lost the house that she had. A- oh, yeah. They took it back. Oh, my goodness. Um, she was sh- pretty shocked that Axel wouldn't help her because they had been together for like 10 years. She thought like, dang, not even. I only been gone for like three months. Yeah, but he was barely there. <laughs> True. <laughs> anyway well in prison she became a health expert and prisoners came to her for advice and this time when she got out she became a nurse aide for the elderly oh there you go it was boring work and it paid crappy because she was an ex-con now but um it was a safe job she started cooking for herself when she would cook with their clients to save her own cash and they didn't seem to care even though it was technically stealing but they were like yeah she's a good cook and she wants to sit here and eat with me so whatever um, occasionally meds went missing, but they were like, nah, the doctor will send more. And they did. Soon the alcohol started going missing with the food. Then she just started outright stealing from her patients. <laughs> she would use their own meds to put them to sleep. And then she would steal money from them or just lay around doing nothing at work. Um, she retired from private nursing in 1966 after several patients died and she didn't want people connecting the dots. She managed to avoid going to jail for these because when autopsies were performed, the patients had only the drugs that had been prescribed to them in their system, and it wasn't like high enough doses to kill them. Mm -hmm. But technically, there's a belief that her total kill count is actually 15 because during this time period, like six of her patients died. Uh, Interesting. So if we add those in, then technically she would have started killing people in the 60s. But technically, like, this was more neglect Mm -hmm. than outright choosing to murder somebody. Right. Yeah. Regardless, she took all that money. She bought a large house at the corner of 21st and F Street. She knew the state wouldn't give her a license to run a boarding house since she had so many solicitation charges on her record. But she's just going to do it anyway. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) Interestingly enough, like she's listed here as being only in her late 30s, but looking easily 20 or 30 years older. Uh, the years of drinking and just the lifestyle were hard rough, on her. Yeah, rough life. Mm-hmm. Also, she was just tired. 
Like, she needed help to get the rooming house ready, so she reached out for workers within the Hispanic community. The local immigrants came out to help, and uh, there she met Roberto Puente. They met and fell in love. Not really. Um, he was looking to have a future in the U.S., and he noticed whenever they were doing stuff and walked by that she stared at him real hard, mm. and he knew what that meant. <laughs> um, so their relationship moved from business to personal. Um, she let the other workers go, and he became the full-time handyman at her boarding house. And when I say this was a big house, 40 rooms. Oh. It was massive. Wow. Um, she gave him a place to live and eat, and also, if he wanted to, sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were an odd couple. Like, he was, like, 20, and she was, like, 40, and her hair was turning white. And it was pretty obvious that he was using her, but she was also using him, so it felt a little all right. Mm -hmm. The house opened in 1966. Uh, The rooms fill up immediately. The state is full of disabled and homeless people because some of the the hospitals were being deinstitutionalized and shut down, Mm -hmm. so people needed places to live. Um. And so the social workers would call her and they were like, hey, do you have space in here? You know, this person gets an SSI check. Um, For the rent she charged, she would also cook for all of her tenants and do their laundry. They thought she was a saint. Now, really, she was checking their clothing for wayward cash and stealing things from them. But regardless, of course, Um, in 1968, Dorothea and Roberto traveled to Mexico City, had an extravagant wedding. It was her fanciest wedding to date. She loved Mexico and didn't want to go home. Um, when they got back though, with the citizenship secured, Roberto started looking for others. He apparently never stopped dating other women. <laughs> like even like while they were dating before, he was like dating women like in their early because tw- like, he was twenty and like in their early twenties. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, and he didn't want to have sex with Dorothea like at all. Oh no! So as soon as he could, he moved to a spare bedroom in the house, saying it was because she snored. Now, he never brought a woman back to the house because he knew smart, the smart. tenants adored Dorothea and they would tell on him. Mm-hmm. But he would be seen out in public with other women. And Dorothea was becoming this respected member of the community because she was doing so much for the Hispanic community. She was don't like I'm going to get more of that in a little bit. But mm. so people would call her and be like, we saw your husband with a lady. Mm. But Dorothea was just like, honestly, I don't care. Just make sure you don't embarrass me. Oh, my God. So back to why people thought she was a saint. So she started donating a lot of money to charity. Um, This glamorous life that she'd always wanted and lied about became real. She had dinners with Pat Brown, Ronald Reagan, Clint Eastwood, um, actually, funny story with the Clint Eastwood dinner that she had. It was for like a Republican like thing, like oh. a dinner. And she was annoyed because Clint Eastwood cared more about like his date that he brought mm. with him than her. <laughs> oh, no. Imagine that. She created this like reputation where like it very much legitimized her. Folks would never accuse her of stealing from them. And if they did... When the police talked to her, it was immediately dropped. Mm. Like, she had a little office, and her office was full of pictures of her shaking hands with celebrities 
And like, who do you believe? This respected, beloved woman who donates to charities and schools all over the community or a mentally ill person who lost a ring maybe sometime in the last year? Well, based on movies, I'm going to say the mentally <laughs> ill person. Um, Roberto kind of enjoyed being a husband who didn't have to do anything. In fact, he stopped doing his job as a handyman. He would show up to take pictures for the fancy dinners, but that was about it. Um, they started arguing a lot. He check out. He had checked out of the marriage entirely, and when he officially left, Dorothea was already over him. One day, she like was going to the house and she checked his room, and it was empty. She pocketed. She did like she did with any other tenant. Mm-hmm. She cleaned it up, pocketed anything that seemed valuable, and. Uh, Felt a sense of relief. She was back to relying on herself, the only person she could depend on. Nice. No one to embarrass me. Of course, in the eyes of the community, her husband abandoned her. And so they were like, well, you know, it's it's understandable that she's been going to bars looking for people. Mm. She started going after much older men who were receiving checks, oh. pensions. Some of those men ended up as tenants at her house. And others she just robbed after having sex with them and drugging them. Police started getting reports of a glamorous older woman robbing men. (laughs) Um, She's being risky here, but she didn't get caught doing this. 1976, she's 47 years old. She meets her next husband, Pedro Montalvo. Um, He was an alcoholic at a bar who she picked up with the intention of robbing him. Turned out she kind of liked him, so she didn't drug him, and they ended up sitting in her apartment above the boarding house just talking all night. Oh, cool. That's cool. He moved in almost immediately. They had a small ceremony at the local church, which wasn't legit because she was still married to Puente. Yeah, but, but she he, didn't feel like being bothered by the divorce. I was say, he, he had ran off anyway. Who cares? Well, this was pretty short-lived because it happened within like a month. Oh. Um, as soon as Pedro moved in, he reveals his true nature. He wanted his woman to submit to him. And when Dorothea would not, uh. he would hit her. When he got drunk, his temper was, like, unpredictable. And while Dorothea was no stranger to violence, first from her dad, then from her second husband, like, this was very different. Um, In response to those random attacks, she stopped going back up to her apartment Mm -hmm. and would spend time with her residents who thought she was amazing. So Pedro was, like, mad because not only is his wife being disobedient, but now she's being absent. But he couldn't hit her in front of the tenants. And so then, like, two months after their random wedding, he just leaves. Yay. Okay, good. Get the fuck out of here. Gets wasted drunk, ends up in a different state. And this is the last man that Dorothea would reach out to on her own. Cool. She started her bar bar crawl again, but this time it was different. She was kind of revolted and just generally disgusted by men. Instead of robbing them, she would get enough information from them while they were drunk, change their address to her boarding house. Also, you are still reacting to me saying she was revolted by men. Yes, I just wanted to comment on that. I mean, yes, I, that that happens after a while. You just you just get fucking tired of men. Like, bro, y'all suck. I'm always there. <laughs> Like I'm, also, I'm somewhere on the line. Like, it's this thin line of, like, ah, maybe I'd like to. No, they suck. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, sorry. But, right. So, what she was doing was she would talk to them while they were at the bar. She'd write down their information. 
when they weren't looking. And then she would change their address to her boarding house. No one questioned it since boarding houses have so many people moving in and out constantly. And so by the time the men got their checks rerouted back to her, she had collected like one or two months worth of pension. Hmm. She invested her that money into a restaurant because after her time talking to rich people, she was like, hmm, rich people make more money by putting their money into other businesses. So she got a business partner named Ruth Monroe. Um, at first, Dorothea was the cook at this restaurant that they purchased. And then when she got tired of doing regular work and like went back to the boarding house, Ruth was cool because she was just like, listen, the business is making enough money to support itself and workers. You're good. Mm-hmm. They became friends. And that made Dorothea feel strange since she had never spent time with anyone who just wanted to be nice to her and accept nothing in return. Imagine that. 1982, one of her friends at the police department is like, listen, they're building a case against you um, for all these government checks that have bounced through your place. Um, There was nothing to rob the drugging and the robberies to her, but some of the men who she defrauded were pretty open with the police and connections were being made. Mm -hmm. Um, And then because that was now a thing, the police were like, well, maybe we should look into the allegations from her previous tenants. She needed to figure out what to do because she was going to go to jail for a long time. Mm -hmm. So Ruth's husband had cancer and the doctors were going to stop prescribing him pain meds because like at this point they felt like he's just going to die and you're delaying the inevitable. The cost of his care was a lot. Um, So she sold her house to pay for his care and since she had nowhere to go, all her kids had moved out to other states, Dorothea offered her a space in her own apartment above the boarding house. Ruth was kind of surprised, but she accepted the offer. And Ruth was treated like a queen there. Like, Dorothea was kind and caring and attentive. And Ruth is like, wow, no wonder so many people want to live here. And then Ruth started getting sick. First, she just started feeling a little sluggish. Then encouraged by Dorothea, she started drinking to calm her nerves. That, of course, allowed Dorothea to continue drugging her. In early April of 1982, Ruth's son, William Clausen, came to visit her when he found out that she was sick. He was surprised to see her sitting on the couch, laughing with a creme de menthe in her hand. <laughs> um, which is honestly not a good drink, but that's beside the point. It's just... it's. Nasty liquor. It's anyway. a it's creme de menthe is it's a mint drink. Yeah, it's a it's a freaking cordial. It's a mixer. You yeah, know. you don't just drink that. But apparently, back then you did. Gross. Yeah. Um. So, but Ruth was like, "This is my friend, Ruthia. You know, we run a business together. She used to be a nurse, so she's taking care of me." William was suspicious, but he couldn't really figure Dorothea out. He was like, listen, I never even heard of this woman until a couple weeks ago. Mm. Um, But, like, she seemed, like, on paper, like a really incredible person. Of course. And he went back home to Southland Park. By the end of April, Ruth was dead. With the other investigations against her, Dorothea was definitely a suspect. But the detectives couldn't find any evidence to show that she was the murderer. Mm. Uh, You know, Dorothea played the distraught friend. I can't believe my friend. We have to close our business now. I can't run it without her. Why would you even do that? The detectives needed something. And so Dorothea told them that, well, she's been really depressed lately. She had to sell her her house. Her husband's dying. She'd been drinking a lot. 
the coroner discovered that she had overdosed on her own medicine, alcohol, and over-the-counter drugs. Mm. They ruled this as a suicide. Lou's son was not happy about this, but he was just like, well, they have a joint account, my mom and Dorothea. Mm -hmm. He's like, so I'm just going to watch and see if Dorothea drains the account, the joint business account. And if she does, I'm going to come for her. I mean, but she has to close her business now anyway, so wouldn't she just close the business account then? Well, technically, I think if you have a joint business account and the money would be split evenly between both people. Uh, So he was looking for her to do something illegal. Okay. Um, this was Dorothea's first real official murder, but she was not an idiot. She knew that the police were watching her, and all of her police informants were just like, listen, I can't tell you anything else other than go get a good attorney. Yeah. She knew if she took Ruth's money right away, she'd get caught. So her plan was to not drain the account until she was in Mexico. So she booked a trip to Mexico. The cops got wind of it, and they grabbed her just as she was getting in a taxi with her luggage. <laughs> The problem with that was they wanted to take their time because they had 30 fraud cases against her. But they grabbed her too soon. And so, in fact, only three of those fraud cases were actually finished. The investigations were finished. And so the judge was just like, I'm, I can't hold her for stuff, work you haven't done yet. Yeah. So... Um, and he was, and the judge was also kind of moved by the fact that she was so giving to the community. He really gave her the benefit of the doubt. Um, he gave her five years in prison for three investi- for the three investigations that had been completed. He said that there would be parole afterward. It was a weird parole rule, though. So her parole was that she could never run a boarding house or work with people of a diminished capacity pretty much ever again, which were the people who she made a fortune exploiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they sent her to the Sacramento County Jail. Um, in jail, she was an older woman. She was known to be the prison gossip, um, which kind of allowed her to kind of pass through all the gangs with no issue. She even talked to the guards and passed along information, which was her fatal flaw. Not fatal, but a big flaw. Mm-hmm. Um, she told the guards who had been responsible for an assault on another inmate. And the response to that was that Dorothea got beaten within an inch of her life in the shower and left for dead. She got transferred to the hospital wing. They wrapped her broken ribs and then they put her in solitary and they were like, we'll just keep her here until this blows over. And that was a year. Oh. Um, it also caused a whole ripple effect in the prison. That was pretty awful too, because she had given them the names of the people who were in charge of some of these attacks who were like gang leaders. Mm-hmm. So they were all also in solitary. And then there was nobody to keep the gangs in check. So like everything was ra- wild. Chaos. But what the attack on her did do was it told everybody else, don't talk to the guards. Mm-hmm. Um, so from solitary, she started writing letters in prison. She started responding to like those prison pen pals. Oh, In those letters, she could be whoever she wanted, and she could take as long as she wanted to tweak the story and make it more believable. Oh, God. One man wrote to her every day. His name was Everson Gilmuth. He was retired. He lived in Oregon, a widower with children who never visited him. He was a loving man who was very lonely. And they became friends. And then he started sending her commissary money. By the time she went back to Jan Pop, the letters had turned very serious. And the two were making plans together. 
Everson was the man that Dorothea wished she had met when she was 16. Hmm. The kind of person who she, you know, kind of bright eyed hoped to have meet. The problem was at 54 years old, that little girl was long gone. Right. Yeah. Everson was talking to a woman who'd killed her best friend for a ticket to Mexico. It's just a different kind of gal. Yeah. When she was released in 1985 on parole, Everson picked her up. Their relationship lasted for three months. Her big boarding house had been sold because she owed $4,000 in restitution to the victims to pay back the money that was stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, her She couldn't buy it back from whoever had purchased it because um, it was being like renovated. Right, right. Okay. Um, Everson helped her get a new smaller house and her own apartment down the street. They opened a joint account together to prepare for their wedding and... Uh, he put he would put like the rent money in there. It was like six hundred dollars, which is still a lot of money because the six hundred dollars in nineteen eighty five, way different than six hundred dollars in twenty twenty one. This is true. So it must have been a pretty nice apartment. Um, Everson had his very large pension directed to their joint account, and this was so they could show their income to the bank when they were going to eventually buy a house together. Even though all of her wealthy friends had abandoned her, the social workers of Sacramento loved her and they were just like, you got a new house? We got people and nobody else will let these people stay anywhere. What the hell? No, guys, you, what are you doing? <laughs> so this time her, her boarding house became the worst cases. People who were seriously mentally ill, very drug and alcohol dependent, criminal people who couldn't get a place to stay that way if they disappeared in a month nobody cared oh okay (laughs) never mind you know what you're doing everson more than likely didn't realize the truth until he found himself also going through what ruth went through because he died too that's why the relationship was so short she she drugged him as well now dorothea knew if everson's body made it to a coroner that it would be identical to what happened to Ruth. Mm -hmm. So she was like, his body has to disappear. So she wrapped him in sheets, like bed sheets, then plastic sheeting. Then she started contacting some ex-cons. Folks knew in the area, you work for Dorothea, you don't ask questions, you do your job, you make a lot of money. So she had hired a bunch of different guys to help with getting the regular house ready. Um, And one, she ended up like, connecting with his name was Ismael Flores um and she was just like listen I need you to build some special stuff for me she asked him to build a box that was six feet long um and she wanted him to deliver that to her apartment because she was gonna be moving things from her apartment to the rooming house and then she wanted him to build a bookcase in her room in the boarding house and then she was gonna put books in the 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 coffin shaped box she asked him <laughs> the, the, to build the, the six foot box the six foot long box which just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> then she bought him a car like a truck, and she said, "Hey, once you're done building the bookhouse, I'll fill the thing, and you can, you know, cart a box of books. We could we'll take it to the boarding house." The box of books being Everson's body. Mm-hmm. She then she nailed it shut, and he was like, "That's kind of weird." She's like, "That's so nothing falls out." Oh yeah, of course. And then they took a taxi ride, a very weird taxi ride, where and 
where she was like, turn left, turn right, turn this way. And then she told them to go to the Garden Highway in Sutter County. And she's like, you know what? I've changed my mind. I don't want this box. Let's just throw it. Off the highway? Off the highway because this was an area where people disposed of a lot of junk. Um, It was right on the edge of a river. Okay. And so uh, Ishmael picked it up and chucked it over the edge. You're like, I spent all this time on this box. (laughs) You just wanted to throw it away. Well, Ishmael was like, she was really happy with me. But then, like, she didn't hire him anymore. Yeah. But he was like, you know what? I I got paid. And also, like, I also got a free car from this job. So I'm just going to, like, not question it. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. Early 1986, Everson's body is discovered on the banks of the river by a fisherman. The six-foot box looked exactly like a coffin. The police were called, but the body was, like, horrifically decomposed. The plastic wrap and the heat of California had caused it, like, to Mm. rapidly decompose. And so nobody could identify him, and he was filed as a John Doe. He wouldn't be identified for another three years. Dorothea went back to her check fraud days, and she was making about $5,000 a month here. So what she would do is she would kind of stack her... uh, rooming situations so like if somebody was a drunk and she knew that that drunk was gonna get like um had gotten popped by the cops Mm -hmm. and like was being held for 30 days because that's pretty normal um then she would have somebody else come stay and she would collect the money from that person and then that person got caught and so she was like stacking them like that like back and forth um she also would do this thing with some of her her tenants where before the mail like before anybody else even woke up she would stop and get the mail she would take all the checks and then she would pay them like a stipend. Of course. Um, weirdly, though, older and older people were like, they wanted to board with her and stay. And she's like, I don't really want people to stay because <laughs> I want them to keep moving so I can yeah. steal from them. All the while this is happening, her parole officers and parole agents visit the boarding house and they never report that she is flagrantly violating her parole. Yeah, because you're not supposed to have a freaking boarding house. Nope. Tenants start going missing. So, August 19th, 1986, Betty Palmer, 77 years old, goes missing after she goes to a doctor's appointment. A few weeks later, Dorothea has an ID card with her own face on it, but Betty's name (sighs) to get her benefits. February 1987, 78-year-old Leona Carpenter goes missing after being discharged from the hospital and sleeping on Dorothea's couch. She wasn't even like a full tenant. There was no space for her. She was crashing it. Yeah. James Gallup was 62. He went missing July 1987. He'd just gotten treatment for a brain tumor and told his doctors he was moving to 1426 F Street. Mm -hmm. October 1987, 62-year-old Vera Martin moves into the boarding house. Never heard from again. Uh, Dorothy Miller, 64, also goes missing that month, October 1987. Bert Montoya arrived in February of 1988, and as soon as Dorothea started helping with his financials, he went missing too. When other tenants asked about him, she told them he'd gone to visit his family in Mexico. Now, just before Bert disappeared, the Department of Social Services got wind of her illegal rooming house and decided to pay her a visit. The inspectors knew of her past, but they were like, it seems like she's cleaned up her act. Everything is above board here. Mm Mm-hmm. She also hired a handyman and they called him chief and the neighbors noted that chief was seen digging around the property. 
and building. He re-cemented the basement, also cemented a slab of concrete in the backyard, hmm. and then he also went missing. Oh, oh no. Right? The first person to be persistent with her suspicions was Peggy Nickerson, a social worker who had sent several people to Dorothea and she couldn't get in contact with them anymore. And Dorothea was like, listen, they come and go. You know how the transient folks are. And um, she's like, if they come back, I'll let them back. And Peggy was like, sure. Hmm. But just to be safe, she didn't send anybody else to Dorothea's house ever again. The next person to disappear was Benjamin Fink. He was 55 and he went missing April of 1988. He was last seen after Dorothea told other tenants she was going to take him upstairs and like be his nurse. Mm -hmm. Never seen again. So it's just it's November 7th, 1988. There's another social worker named Judy Moise. She was Bert's social worker. That's just his nickname. His name is actually much longer. Um, he's like five Spanish names, but oh my god. Um, and she was just like she told the police, Bert doesn't. He's not the type to run away. I don't think he went to his family, and it's also because like one day Judy like went to go see Bert and um, Dorothea told Judy, oh. He's sick right now. You can't go in there. He's like quarantined from everybody else. And she's like, oh, well, when he feels better, I'm going to go check on him. And then the next day, she's like, he got a call from his sister and he went to Mexico. Like, these are not good lies. Uh-huh. Yeah, not consistent. It doesn't make sense. He was just sick. Mm-hmm. The police accepted the complaint and they went to talk to Dorothea. While they were there, another tenant passed one of the officers a note that said, she is making us lie for her. By chance, one of the police officers who had been there, his name was John Cabrera, was at the store later that day buying cigarettes at the same time as the tenant who passed him a note. That tenant's name was John Sharp. Mm. The two decided to stop at a cafe and talk. Now, this happened like hours later. Mm -hmm. He had gone back to the police precinct and done a little search on John Sharp. Just to make sure, like, they didn't have a history. Right. And that right. he wasn't, like, trying to set Dorothea up. Um, so then he was really interested. He was like, well, fancy meeting you here. Let's go have lunch. <laughs> and uh, Sharp didn't know all the details. But he also, like, it was a pretty bleak picture that he, like, painted. You know, holes being dug in the garden overnight. And then, like, Dorothea was building this elaborate garden every time these, like, weird... You know, disappearances. yeah, disappearances happen, you know, things getting covered in concrete, guests getting sick as soon as they arrived, the sickly sweet smell in the house blamed on rats or fish emulsion in the yard, Dorothea's spending habits getting outrageous. So November 11th, four days later, Cabrera is like, let me see if I can do something. He was not new to the forest. He had been on previous serial killer uh cases uh -huh. so he comes with the intention that they're gonna dig up something that day um but he just shows up initially leaves the the shovels in the car he brings a parole her parole officer and a couple other uniforms mm -hmm. Dorothy is all smile she offers them tea she lets them walk around the house they don't see anything out of the ordinary though her room smelled look kind of weird she told him it must be a dead rat under the floorboards, and she was very embarrassed about it. 
Cabrera was like, hey, you know, you told me the other day that you, like, bury the trash for here for, like, compost. I'm just worried that, like, there could be some evidence from that trash. Right. You know, you didn't realize it was evidence. Can we, like, poke around a little bit? And so they both knew what this was. Mm -hmm. Dorothea knew that she had to let him do it. Because if she said no, then everybody who walked out of her house that day was going to be suspicious of her. So she said yes because she was like, screw it. They're not going to find anything. Mm-hmm. They find trash. They find, like, old beef jerky and piles of trash. Like, you know, and Dorothea's there. Oh, so sad. They're ripping up my beautiful garden, you know. Terrible. Laying it on thick. So horrible. It, it <clears throat> gets to the point where, like, they've dug pretty deep and... <clears throat> Like, Cabrera is, like, fed up. He jumps into the hole. He pulls on a root with all his strength, and it pops out, and he sees a human shin bone. There you go. That's what you're looking for, buddy. In fact, he hadn't been pulling on a root at all. He had been pulling part of part of the leg bone oh, out of the ground. You had already found what you're looking for, buddy. He didn't realize what it was, because he's just a regular cop. He's not a CSI. Yeah. Um, he didn't arrest the fake-stunned Dorothea. She was just like, oh. <gasps> Because the problem was, they were looking for Bert, who had only really been had only been found missing like a couple days before. Mm-hmm. There's no way that this... a body skeleton, you know, is skeletonized. That That's not the hurt. right word. <laughs> Becomes a skeleton in a couple weeks, at best. You know what I mean? Yes. That's what um, <laughs> skeletal. That's what I wrote in my notes, but I was too excited. But yeah, there's no way to a body can become a become skeletal in just a couple days so he's just like i have to get a warrant so we can do more searching Mm -hmm. the next day it's a friday um it takes some time to get the warrant saturday forensics team descends on the property they're like so yeah that what you thought was jerky not jerky that's mummified human flesh oh no um, and they were like, well, we got some good news and some bad news for you because these remains are a woman. So this is not Bert Montoya, but it's a body. You got a body. In your when Dorothea saw them look at the concrete slabs, she dresses in this like elaborate, fancy red outfit, puts like four grand in cash in her purse, walks out to the police. And she's like, am I under arrest, officer? And Kripper is like, no, no. And she's like, well. I'm really like, you know, a little like unsteady. I want to go get like a coffee at the hotel that I'm going to stay at because she can't stay there because this is a A crime crime scene. scene. So he's like, oh, absolutely. I'll drive you there myself. Mm -hmm. They uncovered seven bodies that day. One of the watches on the body was still ticking. Meaning that this body was fairly recent. Right. Um, the reason why her, her apartment, her little room smelled gross is because she, um, removed the jaws in a forensic countermeasure. In fact, apparently they found like a set of like, like part of a jaw mm-hmm. outside of her window, like on a ledge oh my because God. she had tried to throw them out back, like hide them. So that smell in her room was from actual 
decomposition. Gross. The police were like, yeah, we need to go talk to her. She was gone. Of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And the police are very embarrassed because they definitely just let a serial killer walk out of her house. Yeah, that was your fault. (laughs) The FBI gets called. They start tracking bus stations, trains, airports. She books a fake flight to LA in her own name, but she never took the flight because she wanted to send them on a wild goose chase. Of course. Instead, she hides in a hotel in downtown LA called the Royal Viking. The public and the press hammer the police. They're like making fun of them for letting her go. (laughs) And she kept a low profile at first. And then she got bored. So she went to a bar. Stop getting bored. She was completely out of place in this seedy downtown bar. And she introduced herself as Donna Johnson. And she talked all night with a young man, a gentleman, and flirted with him. He told her he'd take her shopping the next day. And he went home. And he was just like, I think, I think Donna is the lady on the news. So he called CBS because he was like, I don't know if I want to call 911. What if I'm wrong? So he called CBS and they put him online with the assignment editor. And the assignment editor was like, oh, this could be big. You call the cops before you call the damn reporters, okay? (laughs) Mm -mm, He called the reporters. Oh, my God. So first the CBS guy was like, well, watch a news story and see if it's her. And so he watched a news story, but like, they didn't show a picture of her. And so then the news editor came and showed like a pic- like a picture printout of her. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I think this could be her. And he's like, all right, how about this? Tell her you're going to come see her tonight. And so he convinces this, this man to go tell her, I'm going to meet you. I'll come see you tonight at the Viking. And at 10.20 p.m., this man shows up. With CBS and the cops, and she gets arrested on TV. Okay. I mean, in any other circumstances, this is how people die. True. When, like, doing If she had been that kind of a killer, like, pop, pop, and randoms, yeah, absolutely. But, like, honestly, at that point, she was cornered. So she just went over to her per. They were like, Excuse me, ma'am, are you a Dorothea Puente? And she was just like, She went over to her purse, pulled out her wallet, and was like, this is, um, yeah, it's me. Here's my ID. That's just taking me in. Yeah. But- she got arrested. No bail. Her lawyers tried to argue that the trial was going to be a media circus. This would hurt her. She wasn't going to have a fair trial. The prosecution was like, she's a cold-blooded killer, and there's nothing that we can do to, like, change that. Yeah. There's not- we can't make it any worse. Yeah. <laughs> the judge ruled that the trial was going to go as planned. So June 19th, 1990, Dorothea Puente stands trial for nine counts of murder. Uh, Her lawyers did a really good job, and they got it pushed off until February 9th, 1993. Oh. Yes, they were able to file enough motions and get things shifted around that it took three years. Wow. Her trial, there were 153 witnesses. 3,500 pages of evidence that were shared and the jury did not deliberate, begin the deliberations until July 15th. Oh my God. So nearly five months of a trial and they were well aware that the prosecution was seeking the death penalty. Days pass. Nothing's heard from the jury. August 2nd, the judge receives a note that says we're deadlocked on all nine counts We need further instruction. The defense is like, oh, perfect mistrial. But the judge is just like, no, no, no. Mm. Go back. 
go through the evidence, try again. Hmm. August 26, 1993, they have a decision. Before a packed clerk courtroom, the court clerk reads the verdict. Guilty of the crime of murder in the second degree against Leona Carpenter. Guilty of the crime of murder in the first degree of Dorothy Miller. Guilty of the crime of murder in the first degree, Ben Fink. They were locked on the last six. Hmm. They couldn't make up their mind. I think it was like seven to five. So um, with that, there was also, they also had the allegation under special circumstances that found Dorothea Puente had committed multiple murders, including Everson. Hearing the verdict, the judge moved to declare a mistrial on those other six counts. Mm. Um, Those other six victims did not receive justice. And that included, and I wrote his name here, Alvaro Jose Rafael Gonzalez Bert Montoya. Just want to have. Bra had so many names. Random ass Bert in there. <laughs> that was his nickname. I don't know where it came from. But uh, Bert did not get justice. Mm. December 11th, 1993, Judge Verga hands down the sentence. Dorothea Puente will be committed to life in prison without the possibility of parole. That day, in court, with with news cameras and writers, she turns and looks at her attorney and goes, I didn't kill anyone. Okay. She was incarcerated at the Central California Women's Facility in Chilchilla, California, where she maintained her innocence for the rest of her life. Come on. Seeing her borders had died of natural causes. And they didn't have money for a, a burial anyway, so she just put them in the backyard. Look, you already got caught. Why do you Why <laughs> you need to keep lying? Ironically, she died in prison March 27th, 2011 of actual natural causes. She was 82 years old. And uh, thus ends the crazy story of Dorothea Helen Gray McFowl Johansson Puente Montalvo. Oh my God. Which at one point she did go by all of those names, which is obnoxious. Yeah. How okay, Daenerys. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> okay, Dorothea Targaryen. Oh my God. Woman of six names. But uh, regardless, I mentioned this earlier off camera, but like, the sources for today's were so fun. Like we had f- just fantastic names for books like Human Harvest by Daniel Blackburn, The Bone Garden by William Wood, um, Disturbed Ground by Carla Norton. Everybody just had a field day with these books. Very, these are like <laughs> horror story books. Yes, they were great. And then I, uh, Mistresses of Mayhem was a, a book about all women criminals. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. The title of that one. I might have to buy that. Yeah. I, <laughs> it uh, The original the author's name is Francine LaSala, but I also saw a copy where I guess like her last name changed, and it also says Hornberger. Hmm. So. Hmm. She got married. Got it. Yeah, I guess she probably got married, but yeah, that's it for me. Sorry it's a little long, but. Oh, my God. This lady was nuts. That was a, <laughs> that was a wild ride. Just. This is one of those interesting ones because this isn't somebody who I think like, yeah, sure. She suffered from, she was apathetic constantly, right? Mm -hmm. But she didn't have the typical, she didn't torture animals. She didn't, you know, wet her bed when she was 15. She didn't have any brain damage, though we're not quite sure about that. Fetal alcohol syndrome. But like for the most part, this was just like a 
continuous life of crime that slowly escalated over time. So um, very interesting, though. Yeah. I'd say it's very interesting. Well, what are we learning about today, Okay. Brian? Well, today, I don't even have like a proper intro for mine, honestly. Because okay. I was like, I don't know how to describe these things I'm going to be talking Listen, to you. After your conspiracy crypt <laughs> intro, I don't think you could do better. I don't think I could. <laughs> um, so this week, <laughs> I will be discussing some things. Okay, so answer me this. Yeah. Um, Have you ever like driven... Or, you know, driven yeah. around or walked around and seen, like, something just strange. Just, like, out of the ordinary. You mean, like, glitches in the Matrix strange? Um, no, but that's a... We could talk about that one day. <laughs> that's an interesting topic. <laughs> we should one day. Yeah, that's a weird one. I'm going to have to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Give you an idea for next week. Yes. What do you mean? Um, like, something... Like an abnormality, like something creepy or something strange out in the wild of the world. I'm going I'm to stop you right there because I don't go into the wilds of the world. <laughs> I'm a city kid. I mean, in this, uh, that's what I mean. Outside <laughs> Raised of, in, the, in the concrete jungle. Outside of your house is the wild of no, the world. No, when I think of the wilds, I think of like the woods. No. We don't do woods here. Okay. <laughs> but continue. Well, today, I will be talking about some creepy things that happen out into in the world. Okay. Um, Over the past couple of years. Um, Recent? Uh, yeah. Ooh. About, like, five years ago. Oh, okay. That's extra creepy, because it's, like, now. Yeah. Um, just warning, this is probably not going to be very paranormal e okay episode but you know it's, it's gonna be creepy now five years ago seems like so long now like well if i'm honest covid made last year seem like a lifetime this is true <laughs> that, that, last year was a long ass year yeah god but like 2016 my beautiful daughter was born oh my life was Shitty, but you know, I mean, it's not because of my no, not because of my daughter being born. No, <laughs> it was just, just oh god, I was just in a shitty, a shitty headspace. Gen Z energy, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but one major thing besides my daughter being born that comes to mind whenever I think of 2016 is. Those creepy, creepy clown sightings. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was, was that really that long ago? Yeah, 2016. Bruh, some of those were, like, legit. I've seen, like, people's CCTV footage mm -hmm. of, like, folks in clown costumes showing up with knives at people's houses. It's... Look. See, other reasons why I'm happy I live in an apartment, <laughs> bruh. And there is no little peep hole on my door. Yeah. We just slide that lock and never look. Mm. Now, I myself have not run into any of these fine people standing on, you know, the side of the road or standing in parking lots, but other people have. I remember somebody in a clown costume getting stabbed in, I think, the UK. 
Oh, wow. I did not see Because the person was scared. I believe it. Like, and it was like the person, the clown had a knife too. Yeah. It was just the other person also had Like they, they were, yeah, they were more prepared to use their knife and protect their life. Listen. Because you're a creepy ass clown in a costume. Oh, it's one of those things too, because like, doesn't, like, the clown thing also is a a fear that's, it's an irrational fear for some people. Mm -hmm. So when people are presented with those, they go into like immediate fight or flight response. Right. I've seen people scream at butterflies that's one of, that's another one of those that falls under there too yes um fear clowns uh colrophobia oh see you knew the name yes yeah and so it's pretty common um it's it's you yeah know, it's really common yeah it's you know, it's funny about the butterfly thing. I just remember like being in high school and I was, you know, you stay home and watch Maury mm-hmm. and they had those episodes, uh, you know, phobia episodes. Mm-hmm. And this person was like afraid of balloons, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they just brought a balloon out and they just started screaming. And it was just like, wow. that's. A- I know people have told me that part of the balloon fear is the uh, not knowing when it'll pop. Mm. Um, and the butterfly thing is like the fact that it's still a bug and bugs move in a way that is technically kind of creepy i mean yeah but i, I like I, I get the balloon thing i've seen I, people cry because of butterflies side note i just learned recently that butterflies will eat almost anything that's dead yeah 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 <laughs> it's it's uh it's really so uh they are beautiful monsters that will definitely devour your body it just take a really long time yes um but yeah, enough of the clowning around. Let's get <laughs> let's get to the meat of this. All right. I know. Now, 2016 was not the first appearance of creepy clowns okay. just hanging around. Um, I'm just going to go down to dates and tell you these instances. Uh, 2013. Okay. Uh, there were several sightings of a creepy clown in Northampton. Um, England. Oh. Now, this clown looked like, uh, I guess, Pennywise's brother. Oh, um, okay. And it was created by three filmmakers. Uh, Alex, that, is that a P or D? I can never remember. It's your <laughs> it's, handwriting. I know. I can never remember what I write. Uh, Alex Powell, uh, Elliot Simpson, and Luke. I, so this was like for a movie thing. U- Ubonsky, yes. Okay. Uh, so they were pretty much trying to get uh, hits to their. So they made a Facebook page. So that, that they, happens a lot in California. Mm. They do stuff like a random haunted house in the middle of like town. Yeah, that they just build for like a day, and then people walk through it. It's like, come look at our new movie that comes out next month. It's a no end house. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Uh, let's see, 2014 had some creepy crowns as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a YouTuber. Uh, his YouTube handle was uh, DM Pranks. Okay. Um, he dressed up as a clown to creep passerbyers out, and and Cal- I guess that's like that's the anti Mr. Beast. Yeah, Mr. Beast gives money, makes people happy. This guy dresses up like a clown and frightens people. Um, in California, mm-hmm. in the same year, um, there was a clown that was Nick. There was a creepy clown, of course. It was nicknamed the Waco Clown. Uh, since that's where it appeared the most. That one sounds familiar to me. Hmm. 2015. Okay. 
had a brief spotting of a creepy clown. Uh, so this happened in Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. This, I like this story. It's okay. fucking creepy. <laughs> it's so weird. Okay, so two people were out late at night um, when they see this clown like climbing the fence of a cemetery. Yeah, whole, cl- okay. whole clown outfit, makeup, and everything. Um, Do not like that. Now, yeah, that's spooky enough uh, to see, but what happened to X is just as bad. So the clown gets over the fence. He's in the cemetery now. Uh-huh. Um, these people, they are recording him just climbing the fence and just getting in there. <laughs> and he turns around and <laughs> he just slowly waves at them. Oh, that's probably a good video. <laughs> And then he runs off into the wooded area of the cemetery. Okay. Never to be seen again. Alrighty. So again, yeah, nobody nobody knew who this clown was at all. <clears throat> but yeah, that was like the one of my favorite ones out of here. Oh right. Um, so now, 2016. It all started in Green Bay. Okay. Wisconsin. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I had to adjust my mic. Interesting. <laughs> so it all started in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. One clown, one parking lot, by himself, at night. Okay. Pictures of said clown went viral. There was even a Facebook page for this thing. Um, oh dear. It was uh, the name of this clown was called Gags. Um, now news networks were covering it. Um, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, you know, they were making, they were joking about it and stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. But they didn't know what was going to happen afterwards. So, (laughs) (laughs) so gags was actually made up to promote a film titled, you guessed it, gags. Okay. Um, it's on Amazon. Never watched it. Amazon Prime. I looked it up, uh, when I was writing my notes and I was like, oh, this actually does not seem like a bad story. Uh, the premise is basically like there's this clown that shows up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and people were just thinking, oh, well, this is just a stupid clown, you know, being creepy and stuff. But really, it's a killer creepy clown. Mm. But yeah. Um, so this movie came out in 2018. Um, like I said, I haven't watched it yet. So but- this was two years before the movie came out, they were trying to promote it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, see, that's the failure here. <laughs> like, you gotta, like, drop that, like, a couple weeks. Unless you're, like, Jordan Peele, who can just be like, listen, there's gonna be a movie that comes out in a year, and it's just called Nope. <laughs> like, every... Listen, I'm hyped I'm, I'm for that gonna watch that so bad. I'm vi- listen, I was so upset when I realized that it said 2022 and not 2021. Mm. I thought that that movie was about to come out in like three days. I was so excited. <laughs> but like, if you're just a no-name movie creator, you can't drop the hint about the movie two years before it comes out. I'm pretty sure everybody forgot about it at that time. Exactly. <laughs> Listen, people's memories are very, very short on the internet. Oh, goodness. Now... If you thought that was the end of it, you're looking more foolish than a clown. After, <laughs> I'm sorry. You're really trying to make these these clown gags work here. I'm babe. sorry. I'm trying. <laughs> so after Wisconsin sightings and uh, the movie promo, um, more and more clown sightings started to pop up. From see, South- I never knew about gags. Yeah, I just knew it got weird. Yeah, uh, it's just. Uh, 
mainly South Carolina to Canada to the UK and even Australia. Oh. Where a lot of evil creatures live. So Right, they don't clowns. really need clowns. They have like a <laughs> coconut crabs that are toxic so they can't even be eaten because they eat everything in existence and have giant pinchers. Yeah. They don't, you know, they have they haven't they, they have, have spiders that attack birds. They have birds that attack people. We don't really need they don't need clowns in Australia. Real mm-hmm. life is scary. So at this point, you know, clowns are all over the place. Everybody's spotting clowns and stuff. Right. Um they got so bad that WCA, WCA, uh, the World Clown Association, um, took notice. I didn't know there was a World Clown Association. You were like, WCA, I was like. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's why I wrote it down. <laughs> and, you know, they, they stood out against it, like these clowns. And I'm like, yo. And, and the reason why I did this is because these creepy clowns on the side of the street or sitting in parking lots are stalking people. Oh, yeah. Um. I, I mean, I've seen videos where people were, like, in the woods just hiking. Yeah. And then on the path in front of them, there's just a clown standing there. And the thing is, that was a real person. Yeah. Just real-life trolling people. And, like, these clowns ruining it for real clowns. Aww. Who work at circuses. Or amusement parks or carnivals, you know, or they work at children, children's parties. I gotta be real honest. I just don't find clowns all that interesting. Except for the balloon animal thing. <laughs> Make me something cool with a balloon animal. I'm here forever. But I think it's maybe I'm because I'm an old person now. Hmm. But like, I'm just like, eh. But like, you know, y'all should be able to make a living. So. Yeah. So, yeah. 2016 was like one of the worst times to be like a professional clown because Aww. of because of all the freaking clown sightings. That's it's so sad. It's terrible. It was terrible. Didn't it end, though, by like after halloween yeah it did it just dropped like, i'll get into that but it, it really just dropped off right after halloween and mm-hmm. nobody knew what the fuck was going on um so weird so even sir ronald mcdonald had to step away from the limelight for a little bit wait no <laughs> this is true <laughs> mcdonald's changed the mascot no 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 no. he just you know he just wasn't out in public all like that anymore you know what i mean he's just you know because of clowns is he out in public in general i mean he's a is there are there locations where you can like meet ronald mcdonald i don't America? think you can meet ronald mcdonald i'm pretty sure like Plus, they, grimace was my favorite anyway uh the mcdonald's playhouse things they have like I think they had McDonald. They had a little statue they of him there. They removed the statue of Ronald McDonald. <laughs> I would think so. I would think they, they, that's what they did. I just know that he had like step. They, they, you know, they backed him. They put him on the back burner for a little bit. Wow. <laughs> um, clown costumes were banned and pulled from stores. Like no spirit Halloween cacarities at all. <laughs> so people were um, having to make their own clown costumes if they wanted to be assholes. Oh my god. Um. And people like who who work for like uh, theme parks or amusement parks, mm-hmm. you know, they wear you know makeup and stuff like you know clowns. Well, yeah, of. I mean, I know like Halloween Horror Nights, they have like the scary clowns with yeah. like the big giant teeth and stuff. Exactly, and these people were warned like you gotta you gotta, you gotta make sure that stuff is off your face before you leave work because oh you can't like just go home and go oh I'll wash it off. Yeah, when I go home. no, you gotta wash it up before you clock out and all that stuff because wow. or before you leave the building. Because people were out there freaking out. Okay. <clears throat> um, what else? Oh, so apparently there's supposed to be some type of 
clown purge that happened in the year 2016. Like, clowns are supposed to start attacking people. Oh, right. Yeah, I do remember that. Um, Yeah, on uh, Halloween Eve. I remember. The day before Halloween. Or night before Halloween, whatever. Yeah. All Hallows Eve. So, there, of course, there wasn't like a freaking clown purge on Halloween Eve, but... I was just about to ask, did somebody die? <laughs> no. Aw. But... On Halloween night, there was an attack. Okay. <clears throat> October 31st, 2016. Uh, Jeff Brown and uh, his brother Tommy um, were out driving in their pickup truck with their wives, um, another adult woman. Okay. And in total, five kids. Oh, no. Um, and this is, this happened in uh, Orange County, East Orange County okay. of Florida. Okay, changed my whole mind there. You said Orange County, I thought California, fancy, and then you said Florida, I went, oh, different place. So I'm guessing after a successful night of trick-or-treating, um, they're driving around, So they're, they're driving home. When they spot about, let's say, 20 people ahead, trying, uh, you know, at the crosswalk. Were they all clowns? Trying to push the crosswalk button, and, um, you know, Jeff thought, <clears throat> was his Jeff's thought was that you know they were trying to after, after the fact he he thought that they were trying to um so you know the traffic you know the pedestrian crosswalks you had yeah. the button you know turn the the light green or whatever yeah if nobody's there yeah yeah um so his thought was was that they were trying to push this button so they can make the traffic light turn red for um income uh, uh coming cars so that they could scare people. Attack them. Not just scare people. Attack them. Okay. So, these people, these 20 people, or about 20 people, they were wearing clown masks, and they were wearing purge masks as well. Oh, I have one of those. <laughs> God. <laughs> you mean like the light up ones? Yes. Yeah, I have one of yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. It's pink. But, Jeff... Drove right. He he. They they didn't do it in time for like the light turn red, so oh. he just drove past them. Um, as he drove past them, one of these twenty people throws something at his truck. Um, he of course you know pulls over to check out the damage, see if anybody was injured, and in, because he had the kids and his yeah. uh, and and the women in the back, yeah. and his brother was uh up front with him. Um, so. He gets out to check the damage. Nothing is wrong. Everybody's fine. But these 20 people freaking swarm them. Of course. They Why swarm- would you stop so close? They swarm. I don't I don't know. I don't know. They, but they swarm him and his brother. Um, Jeff's wife hops into the driver's seat and tells her, you know, like, go get help. So, you know, get the kids to safety. Yeah. So, you know, we're not here with these people. Um so they drive off these two guys against these 20 people. <laughs> they had hockey sticks. He said they had bats. They had clubs. They had knives. I'm very <clears throat> worried for Jeff. <clears throat> so Tommy gets knocked out or knocked down um, by a hockey stick. I, I think I read in one of the news reports that he actually got stabbed to like in the head with the knife. 
Uh, yeah. I was just thinking, if you want to kill somebody, this was a good time to do it, probably in a clown costume. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, Tommy gets you know he gets knocked down, and then he gets swarmed by more people. Um, Jeff finally gets he, he's able to break away and try to get help. You know, try to go and get help. So he's, he's like Tommy is just there by himself. Then um, by the time Jeff gets back, though, uh, this whole mob has just disappeared. <clears throat> scary scary yeah so so the the people who caused this attack this purge style attack um were thought uh to be teenagers because jeff said he uh recognized like a couple of them as teenagers in oh. the neighborhood oh but i couldn't find any like arrest for anything don't you hate that you find this like really interesting news story and then you can't find a follow-up like there was no nothing else after this i could not find anything else after this so i'm gonna assume that nobody was arrested in this attack but yeah um oh yeah apparently (laughs) this is funny creepy clowns were supposed to make a comeback last year you know 2020 um I guess, like, on TikTok, there were a couple of videos I saw of Creepy Clowns. Um, But, you know, I guess even Creepy Clowns are afraid of COVID. So, they did not come back. Uh, But, yeah, that's what I got for Creepy Clowns. I got something else, though. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not done yet. I guess. Okay. I got more. Okay. So, anyway, clowns suck. Let's talk about (laughs) something entertaining. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about TV. Okay. That's right. TVs aren't the... Rot your brain. Yeah, they aren't the pinnacle of entertainment. I mean, we have smartphones and tablets to, you know... True. ...entertain us with. And and computers, of course, too. Um, And, you know, or games, but you need TVs for that anyway. But still, anyway. Anyway. Actually. But something something about watching, like, cable TV is just nostalgic. And... Speaking of TV, okay, and old, have you heard of TV Head? Of what? TV Head. No. Or TV Man. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, if anybody else has, not talking about Fooly Cooly, TV Boy Conti. Um, but I'm talking about an almost. Santa Claus type person who wears an old television set on his head. Is there a video of this? Yes. A CCTV video? I didn't know he had a name. Yeah. I thought it was just somebody was like some weird guy was outside of my house last night with a TV on his head. (laughs) I didn't realize that this was a name now. Yeah. He has a personality? Well, it was just, I guess that was the name. TV head, TV man, whatever they were trying to name him. Um, Okay. I mean, he has an old TV, uh, TV set on his head, and he drops off old television sets yeah. to random people at night. Where did this happen? No one knows why. Now, this no, happened, where? Oh, this happened in uh, Henrico County, Virginia. Okay. So, yeah, this didn't happen all over the world. It was just in this one area. Well, yeah, because that means that everybody would have had to commit to a very strange... I don't know, like outfit. That's just weird. We'll get into that later. (laughs) Like, 
it's probably not that easy to even find those old TVs anymore, well, is it? Well, like the you, tube TVs, right? Yeah. You don't have to have an actual tube TV to make this head. How many people made this for the following Halloween? Okay, stop. Okay. Hold <laughs> on. <laughs> your answer just let me know. That apparently, a lot of people have dressed up like this guy. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway, the weekend of August 2019. 50 households in, like I said, Henrico County, Virginia, wake up to find old TV sets just sitting on their porches. The TVs were placed in a certain way. They they were facing into, you know, so that the people who opened the door would see, like, themselves in the TV screen. That's funny. <clears throat> um, This definitely reminds me of that uh, sci-fi show we watched. Which one? The one with the kids obsessed with that TV show. Oh, Oh, you mean Candle Cove? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, a few uh, home security cameras caught glimpses of this person, or these people. This is a group, uh, I think it was a a duo. Oh, it was a team. I think it was it was a team. I know it was two, uh, at least two people. I always thought it was <clears throat> the same guy. No, no, no. There's one guy, he, wore, he was taller. He had, like, a white jumpsuit on. Okay. And the other guy had, like, a blue jumpsuit on. Oh. He was a little shorter. Interesting. Um, yeah, um, they, you know, a person or people wearing television sets on their head, delivering TVs. Um, the gift of television. Now Old the, televisions. There's what? Yeah, there, there's. I know, right? I would just, I would have still taken it. Okay. Right, you're just going to accept this gift. I have an old TV set, not at home, but it's in my garage. But yeah, it's a big old. It has like. At the at when this one was made, I guess they didn't have like a cooling. The, the way they cooled TVs was that like they put cement in the bottom of it. Oh, I don't know about that. So that you know it wouldn't overheat. Interesting. So this TV is extremely heavy that I have. It's, yeah, sure sounds like like it. I can pick it up a little bit, <laughs> but alrighty, bud. Like my muscles. After a while, I was like, I can't pick it up so high. I can pick it up a little bit and then put it on something, but that's about it. My muscles. Um, but yeah, um, so one of the 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 CT or the the doorbell camera uh, videos that I loved, like the ring light, the ring, yeah, yeah, the rings. rings, yeah, yeah, one of those was uh, one of the TV guys. He sets, you know, he sets the TV down. He's carrying on the porch. He sets it down. You know, he adjusts it and makes it sure it's facing properly, nice and gingerly. He does it very, very nice. Um, and then, you know, he starts walking down the stairs and then he turns around, looks right at the camera, and he just, you know, he waves at the camera and then just, you know, walks off. Mm-hmm. Less creepy. Like, this is, this is like a complete contrast to freaking clowns true because i'm less bothered by this because this guy is just like out having fun yeah exactly like i mean i guess the clowns were out having fun too (laughs) but they were having fun in a malicious kind of way yeah this was like they they, like attacked people yeah they were out to scare people this guy is not out to scare people he's just out to deliver television sets for some reason so yeah um either way Cops were called soon, and they started collecting the TVs up, you know, to go recycle them. <clears throat> so no charges were pursued 
uh, since no real crime was committed. Right. Except for, like, I guess the cops said it, it would be considered, like, illegal dumping. Yeah. Because at this time, like, you know how we're supposed to recycle those old TV sets instead of just throwing them away now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, that's the thing. So, did you know that... No, you didn't know. So, I'm going to let you know. There are a lot of cosplayers <laughs> who have... So this is not like a cos, not only a cosplay thing. This is like a whole. Um, Somebody's made a webtoon about this by now. It's a whole. What's the what's the word for like a community of? It's just like a whole community of people, and they're called object heads. Oh. So I guess it started way before this happened. Um, so these object heads were just TV friends. Yeah. So objects, I guess this happened they like 2000. Met online and we're like, yo, we both live in the same city. Let's get weird. Yo, yo probably. <laughs> I guess like it started, it started in like 2011 when object heads were like big and popular. Like, um, like, I don't know, just having like a microphone for you, like siren head ish. Okay. Like, except not creepy. Um, but yeah, um, like I said, they had fully coolly. Uh, have you watched that anime? Okay. Anybody who's um, watched Fully Cooly, it's awesome. I'm just saying. Um, there's, there's a robot owner. His name's Conti. He has a freaking monitor as a head. Yeah. And, um, and, and like I said, a lot of cosplayers, they do the TV head thing. And, okay. like, I was watching, I think I was watching, like, either YouTube or freaking TikTok, and I just, I was like, what the heck is up with the freaking TV heads? Like, I, I remembered this story, but I was like, this doesn't have anything to do with that, does it? And I was like, mm-hmm. not really, I think it's just like a whole. It's a whole other, separate world yeah, from these two people another who branch decided off. to give away TVs. And honestly, I kind of want one, just because Jill shake your head at me, it's awesome looking. Anyway, that is what I have for my weirdness this week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, that's something. Creepy clowns and awesome TV guys dropping off TVs. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And uh, yeah. Yeah, we do uh, appreciate every single one of you for listening. And to those who support us on Patreon, we love you so much um and like Brittany said at the top of the show you want to support us at patreon um it's patreon.com slash when killers get caught yep um you can basically donate whatever you want if you want to uh it's not an obligation and if you want to check us out on when killers get caught.com that's where we have our complete episode list and then we have a shop on there and you can leave comments on the episode absolutely you can leave reviews there too if you want to um yeah and i guess always find me on tiktok and caught podcast brian is foxy trainer on twitch stream sunday nights yes 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 and i think that's it can't wait to see you all right thank you guys for listening bye bye